Welcome to Season 9 of the Art of Teaching podcast. My name's Matthew Green and I'm so grateful that you've joined me today. Before we get started with our discussion, I would like to acknowledge the Darawal people, the traditional custodians of this land on which I'm recording, and pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging. I acknowledge the stories, traditions and living cultures of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples on this land. Dr. Laura Tualampi is a mathematics education researcher, an in-service teacher trainer, and the founder of Math Hunger and Maths for Humans. She is passionate about shifting mindsets to view maths as positive, engaging, and achievable. Her work explores practices that innovate and inspire traditional teaching methods to evolve with students' learning habits. I hope that you get as much out of our discussion with Laura as I did. There are links to some of her amazing resources in the show notes. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Whereabouts are you phoning in from? Hi, Matthew. So happy to be here. I'm here in Kensington campus in my office. Fantastic. So obviously the University of New South Wales. Yep. Great. And I'm hearing, for those people that are not familiar with your, your background, I'm hearing an accent. Where are you originally from? So I am from Finland, the cool cold Scandinavia. We have lots and lots of snow there at the moment, uh, but I'm enjoying these really pleasant weathers here in Sydney. How are you finding the uh, the Australian summer? Oh, I love it. It's like many people sort of like question me about how can you sort of like stand and tolerate so much heat, but I feel like I'm like I, I often say that maybe I'm a cat or something because I really, really enjoy just being in the sun and enjoying all that. Fantastic. I was born uh, in England and I still find it very difficult after being here for 25 years. I find it very difficult not seeing snow at Christmas. So I really, I really miss the snow. Do you think you're going to get used to hot Christmases or cold Christmases? I think I enjoy them both. I think they are different. And I don't think that you should sort of like try and make the Australian Christmas feeling anything close to that snowy, yeah. sort of like traditional, beautiful white yeah. Christmas. This is something different. I agree. I absolutely agree. And quite possibly the most important converse, uh, the most important question, what's your coffee order? Oh, it's long black. Yeah. I don't want any coffee, no, 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 sugar or milk or anything ruined my coffee. It has to be just coffee. And- Fantastic. And is there a book uh, that or books that you've recently read? Um, it could be in terms of education, it could be more broadly, uh, that has changed the way that you think about a few things. Oh, I read a lot, both fiction and nonfiction and educational books and everything. And I think every single thing that I read always changed my thinking a little bit. Uh, even when I was reading about your podcast, so I got like so many new ideas about like how things could be done uh, with these sort of like mediums and all that. Uh, then obviously my own book, Seriously Fun Mess, that I just put out there last year. So that changed my sort of like view of things while I was doing it, because that's a yeah, like a really comprehensive process that you need to do when you are writing. Yeah. Absolutely. And we'll get into your amazing work um, around maths in a moment. And um, it's so refreshing to see somebody that's so passionate about maths. Um, As I was saying before we hit record, I hated maths at school. My maths teacher hated maths. And I feel like it's a subject that I'm only just discovering now as a teacher. Um, Do you think there are, do you think people have a misunderstanding about maths? Well, you kind of introduced us to a couple of things that always come up when I introduce what I do. 
uh, hating mats or whatever experiences they are, they are usually quite um, emotional and strong. So there are not many people that are indifferent when it comes to mathematics and their like the experiences. So either you are like you feel that you sort of like identify yourself as a math person, or you kind of like feel anxious about it, or even hate it, or something like that. And then uh, you're not the the first person that I meet that have like sort of like changed their mind about it, having seen something different. So that's what, and you mentioned that your teacher even hated math. So it's usually something that you sort of like perceive around you. Like this is not something that I would ever use. I don't get it. This is like, uh, there's nothing for me with this. And that is the problem. And when I introduce to people what I do, uh, maybe the first impression might be something like, well, math, like, well, why would you do anything with that? Like, that's the most sort of like outset data discipline in the world. But it's not, it's actually, uh, my claim is that it's more needed than ever. And it's quite easy to get people seeing that they do maths all the time and they actually enjoy it. Do you, uh, did you enjoy maths when you were at school? Um, what were you like uh, as a student? I did like maths. I was really sort of like science oriented, even when I was a little kid and was always really interested in like mysteries and um, all kinds of puzzles and learning about this world. And I'm also really passionate about sustainability. And that's also something that sort of like, um, how do you say that, like, gets things to get all brings yeah. things together yeah uh, the sort of like curiosity that we can feed when doing maths but then also like seeing how understanding how things and patterns and numbers and data work can help us bringing to a better and more sustainable future yeah absolutely and i've heard that maths is the one universal language um mm. is the language that we all need whether we regardless of the the language we speak whether it be uh, english or finnish or spanish or whatever that may be um it's the one consistent language and so i've really enjoyed and really loved seeing how intertwined maths is in everyday life mm. like when i go to the shops with my daughters and we're making a cake. We obviously bring in fractions and measurement and, mm -hmm. and all of this wonderful, wonderful stuff. And so for me, it's been about really changing my perception of this subject. And when I was in high school, it was a boring and dry and horrible subject. And the answer was in the back of the book and you weren't allowed to look. But now teaching it as a primary school teacher, I'm only beginning to understand just how uh, rich and beautiful and creative it is. Um, would would you agree with that? Do you think there is a bit of a misunderstanding of, of, of just the power of mathematics? I definitely agree with all that. The sort of idea of math as something dry and irrelevant and all that versus something that you said that like even like applying factions when you make cakes with your kids and things like that. I think I said that in one interview that the biggest group of people using maths are the people who think they are no good at it. So we all do that all the time. We use probabilities to decide whether we need an umbrella when we are going to go out and things like that. And we are like planning our weekend trips. So, but then like maths classroom experiences tend to be more about like memorizing calculation strategies and things like that, which we don't really need anymore because we do have calculators and everything we might need that brain exercise which might be sometimes fun but what we need more is those sort of like problems that we need to solve every day and absolutely. all the time that are really relevant to us and getting yeah. tools to that absolutely and and my understanding is that your your, your path to where you are now was quite unusual um would you mind talking about um how you got to be a lecturer in mathematics because um, I respectfully, I don't know too many lectures in mathematics, and I definitely don't know very many female lecturers in uh, in mathematics. So, how did you get to where you are today, and what was what was that process like? Was it was it quite normal, or was it a little bit unusual? Uh, there are several things that are unusual. 
maybe the first one being that I don't come from an academic family. I was the first one to even do anything after year nine. And I, I don't know why that happens. I come from a working family and I've got like lots of support and encouragement and everything, but there was definitely nobody that would have been interested in the same things or able to maybe direct me or help me or anything like that. And growing in a small town in Finland, it wasn't like the easiest place to be like super inquisitive and like scientifically oriented and also a girl, like you said. But then uh, studying mathematics was actually something that came quite easily because uh, not many people want to do that. So it wasn't difficult to get into uni. Uh, I did need to pass the exam, but I was always good at math. So it wasn't like too difficult for me. But I mean, there were lots of like study, how to say that, like places. So it wasn't like there was a lot of you yes. know, places there. And can, can yeah. I just ask you, um, I'm so sorry to uh, to interrupt, Laura. I'm just really um, interested in, um, you said you, wanted the, you were the first person in your family to pursue an academic career. Um, yeah. What was it um, about academia that seemed, um, that seemed so interesting to you? Because that must have been, uh, I mean, that's quite inspirational to be the first person to pursue a particular career. So why, why and also what was that experience like for you? I think it was, I, I can't even tell when that all started. I feel like I was like three years old and I was like uh, digging snow, I don't know, like holes and things like that. And I've already been interested in like how stars work and things like that. How, what is, you know, what do we have in space and things like that. Uh, but then like what was maybe interesting in when going into academia was that because I didn't have much of understanding I didn't have the uh, vocabulary like the language like academic language and things like that so I was pretty naive which have turned to be a really good thing for me I don't think I have been able to lose that naiveness so I'm usually really easily sort of like can take a, the learner's perspective and th see things from a perspective where they simply don't know because there were so many things that I simply did not know and and do you think you still um do you still view yourself as someone who is respectfully a little bit naive and also learning new things? Is that something in, in, in your role which is really important to ask those questions? I think it is really important, at least when I sort of like naturally have it, have it then I'm also trying to utilise it as much as I can because I do find it really useful. And maybe drawing from that same idea now that I'm here in Australia and started here, you know, as somebody that didn't know the culture and didn't really understand how things were going on. So I was able to observe lots of things. And yeah, it's it's never been really difficult for me to just you know show that I might be a little bit, you know, stupid with this. And I'm fine with it because I'm here to learn new things and I find it really useful. I think that's really that's really wonderful and really um interesting to hear that because I think sometimes there's a um a perception of academics or academia and you're sort of up here and and we're down here and it's sort of hard to know how to engage in that but it's so lovely to hear that you are positioning yourself continuously as a as a learner and as a reader and somebody that um that that asks questions and i'm just really curious because um uh in Finland, we 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 idealize their education system. Like we think, oh my goodness, it is just this wonderful, um, incredible education system. And I was wondering what you noticed about some of the good qualities of an education system. So, what are some of the things that um, you think Finland is doing particularly well, and also some of the things that you think that in Australia we are doing particularly well, um, specifically in regards to maths education. Mm. I've been doing some comparative studies, so I do know a little bit about like things like math anxiety and how attitudes towards mathematics develop in you know all around the world. Uh, maybe in a nutshell, what I've learned to be really well done here in Australia is to sort of like how things are structured, how rigid they are, like things are documentation and things like that like really having clear learning intentions and success criteria and things like that which we don't really have in Finland so things are way more open and yeah. you have so much freedom as a teacher and as a student which on the other hand is also the uh, the 
sort of the upside in the Finnish yeah. system because what I see uh, when I compare students, Finnish students and Australian students, is that maybe here in Australia, students are more sort of like they seem to have more tools and more sort of like capabilities and, and knowledge in how to make things done, how, how to get things done. Yeah. yeah in a certain way but uh when i have the finnish students i can give them fairly open assignments and they figure out what to do with it so that is sort of the culture that we are building a lot in finland the whole sort of like openness of the system really um strengthens individuals abilities to be really independent and creative yeah, that that's really wonderful. And I, I was speaking um, a little while ago with a, with a colleague of yours, the wonderful Parsi Solberg, and he was talking about that um, that comparison between Australia and Finland, and talking about the sort of the difference in teacher training and expectation in Finland. Um, and it's you're in such a wonderful position to get to see both of those, and I'm sure both the Australian system and the Finnish system, while they have incredible strengths, will still have things that they need to work on. Is, is that the case? Yeah, if I was the dictator, I would <laughs> merge these two systems together and, together. and yeah. like make things learn from the Australian system and vice versa. Yeah. I would make the best parts. Amazing. That. And Laura, I'm just wondering, um, what was your um experience like at school? Um as a student or yeah, as as a student, and did you have a um did you have a teacher that had a particular impact um, on you specifically around mathematics? I did have a couple of actually female math teachers that were really encouraging and really sort of like helped me to see where I could go almost like mentors or something like that. But I also had a couple of really difficult experiences with teachers because I was really active and maybe mastery oriented. So I really wanted to know everything about everything. And I sort of like got on some teachers' nerves a little bit. But there was also one incident when a teacher sort of like felt that I was disobeying because I was able to figure out all the steps in a math task. Yeah. Like sooner than she was anticipating us to do. So yes. I just gave out the answer and, and she made me stand in the uh, in front of the classroom for the whole rest of the uh, the class. And I was only eight years old. So that was something that really, because I had, you know, I was just out there and feeling myself embarrassed and everything. So things like that have always, has have maybe had a certain role in like how to sort of like think critically about the current system. Like it's not that there is no one who would know how things should be done. Yeah. There is always something that could be yeah. done better or fixed or improved. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I, I'm always interested in um, kind of how people got to where they are now. Um, did you have much experience in the classroom before you moved into academia? I did. I started as a math teacher and I really, really just wanted to be a teacher. And it was, I think it was already my first lecture or something, uh, math lesson, when I realised that uh, there were a couple of students that were learn no matter what I did yeah and most of the students wouldn't learn whatever I did like no matter what I did yeah. and like I think I ditched the whole sort of like traditional way of doing things and the textbook and everything maybe like on my first week or something and started experimenting so I did have maybe six years in school in different stages which have proven really useful I got to experiment a lot and I didn't always succeed at all I made lots and lots of mistakes right and, but yeah. those were necessary yeah that, that that's really exciting and, and and I can't tell you Laura how um how refreshing it is to hear um your passion and your excitement for maths and also the fact that you are still learning like even though you have your doctorate um and you are lecturing mathematics it's so lovely to see that you are still a student of this wonderful subject you don't have all the answers which is really nice to hear yes definitely um, and what maybe I could add that what keeps me going is that since we were talking about like me maybe um not having a problem of showing that I might be a little bit naive I'm still a learner and all that but I've several times I've always I've also felt that because of you know having a PhD in maths you have almost like this shield 
Yeah. Like no one's going to question you because of that. So yeah. I feel like I'm in a safe place to be a learner and I can sort of like communicate that in yeah. all kinds of places yeah. because I do have that in my. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know but, if you're familiar with, sorry, please go ahead. Yeah, but for all those people that like, like genuinely don't know things and would like to learn and they don't have any cover like they don't have that kind of like yes but I can always like rely on actually knowing things so for those the path can be so hard and I really feel like super sorry for them like not having this opportunity to actually learn maths or so yeah. like be excluded from that yeah. so that's what makes keeps me really passionate about things. yeah I, I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Dr Catherine Attard um, yes, I am. At, at the University of Western Sydney she was my she's also been on the podcast and she was the um the maths lecturer for me that changed everything like mm. absolutely everything and I remember um sitting in her class and I was told I had to do maths and I didn't want to do it. And she just opened my eyes to this wonderful opportunity um, that, that these opportunities that maths has. And she is a phenomenal individual in her book. Um, I still use her books and her lecture notes. I've still got them from 16 years ago. And when I'm planning my own maths activities and my own lessons with my kids, um, I always hear her voice in the back of my head saying, is this useful? Is it relevant? Mm -hmm. Um uh, and and I, I think it's so important to um, to continue to sort of challenge some of those outdated ways of how we motivate students around mathematics. Um, I know that's a huge passion of yours, um, especially for um, your work, Seriously Fun Maths. Um, it's really wonderful because it talks about, uh, it obviously marries your incredible research with also some very practical ways of doing that. So how do we begin to rethink the way that we are um, uh, the way that we're teaching students mathematics and what are some of the things do you think that we need to challenge? Well, I'm glad to see you mentioned Catherine. I just, I was lucky enough to meet her in a conference a couple of months ago here in Unistopoli. There was another person also, Dr. Jake Little, who was one of the core orders of the new syllabus. And when they were asked what would be the one advice that they would give to teachers, first Dr. Jake Little, he said, uh, drop the textbook and pick up the syllabus. And then Catherine Attard said that don't teach the syllabus, teach the kids, yeah. teach the, the children. And yes. I think those are the uh, what you were saying about like really thinking like, is this useful? Because um, another thing that I would just want to add and like making things more practical is that what I've been working on currently is the idea, we just had a research project where teachers were, talking a lot about time pressure and we all know that teachers feel like they are short of time there's so much that they should be like putting in more and more things more and more content more and more ideas that come from researchers educators policy makers all of that crazy and, but one of the findings that we were able to see there was that we shouldn't probably focus so much on the clock but the compass like really actually stepping back a little bit and thinking like, is are we even going in the right direction? Like there is no rush if we are already going to a wrong direction. Yeah. So the sort of like the idea of really thinking back, like, is this useful? And for that, um, we do need examples. We do need to show like where to go. Where is that compass? Where is it like sort of like directing us? Yeah. But then also like really give teachers feedback because like, as a teacher, you it's you know it's really likely that you have been thought in ways that have been tried, have been like super tedious or exhausting or irrelevant things like that. So how do you how do you make a difference? How do you how do you make a change to that? Because you haven't seen any better, you don't see any other sort of like ways of doing that. Yeah. So it's not just knowing how things could be done differently but but also like really getting individual feedback like yeah. what is it that I'm doing and I I am a big advocate of pointing out what already works not just criticizing like don't do that do this instead but actually going back to what is happening in the classrooms that is already working the same way that we can empower like people seeing that they are good at maths by showing that you already did it. You did it this morning when you were doing this and that and that. The same way, the same way we could and we should empower teachers, showing that this is already working. Like you just did this and that, and you were like, this was a really good interaction that you had with the student. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I think that's so incredibly important. And, and I'm just wondering, Laura, like um, if you could change something about teacher training around mathematics, what would it be? What's the big thing that you'd like to see done differently in terms of how universities train teachers? Uh, do what they preach. Yeah. It's so often even in the university level that we talk about student-centeredness and open assignments and things like that. And then it's all lectures and closed assignments. <laughs> so that's one thing that I would change. Another thing is uh, what we are already doing, uh, bringing more voices together and not just pushing one a agenda or one ideology or something, but really hear about students' voices, parents' voices, teachers' voices, researchers' voices, and putting it all together and yes. having it evolve, not just like like completing something and then yes. serving that to schools yes. or teachers or in teacher education or whatever but actually yes. having like an evolving process where everybody is like bringing their ideas yeah I think that's so important I love on your website it says there's so much more to typically teaching maths than is required in the syllabus and it said that we help you reduce some of the clutter that so easily collects in the maths classroom so how do we when we're planning a unit of maths how do we make some space like do we build it around a central concept like planning i'm talking about primary schools at the moment planning a birthday party or um mm -hmm. baking a cake or how do we how do we begin to construct more meaningful mathematics programs what do we need to do by zooming out when you if you do it in a chronological way if you start from let's say opening a textbook and thinking like this is the first chapter, then after that comes the second and so on. You never feel like you're going to have any any extra time. There's no space. I authored uh, or was one of the authors of a textbook series in Finland. And one of the things that the editor wanted us to have was more content than is in the syllabus so that the teachers would never be short of tasks. But then what happens is that teachers read that as you know, it, it becomes pressure, like we need to go through all of that, even though it was like the maximum amount of content. And what I've been doing a lot with my, my teacher students is that we actually go through uh, textbook content and compare that to syllabus content. And then we can see that it's like, it's just a fraction of that textbook um, collider yeah. that needs yeah. to be addressed based on like according to the syllabus. Yeah. And then also things can be done in several different ways. Amazing. So uh, my advice to my teacher students is always that, like take maybe like a month or something like 10 weeks, a period or something, and put everything that is most important. Things like make sure that there's something that helps students um, develop their engagement and enjoyment towards the subject, because that's going to make everything easy when they are motivated. Make sure that they are like, problem solving lessons make sure that there is this and that and that and then you can sort of like add what's left with the more traditional exercises yeah yeah I think that, that that's so important and it seems like it, it's essential to um like you're saying to zoom out and figure out what do we want to achieve here what does success look like um mm -hmm. and some of my favorite moments in maths and like I said I would teach maths all the time if I could but Unfortunately, I have to teach other things as well. But um, I, I I love those moments when the when we're planning a birthday party or when we are creating a shopping list or when we're um, uh, designing our own classroom and making our dream bedroom and all of these things and we're pulling in all these mathematical concepts. I love when the bell rings and the students go, oh, I don't want to go to recess. I don't want to go to lunch. And I think. It's, it's those moments where the students don't even realise that they're engaging in learning that are so powerful. Um, and you talk about sort of the importance of if you want to, it's easy to catch students' interests. All you need to do is something that's surprising. And so um, how do we do this? How do we create that hook to, to draw students into mathematics? What do we need to do? Well, I love your example of planning a birthday party. Uh, many times when you just get students do something that they already love doing, 
then on the go, you can just sort of like make those connections to syllabus content. Yeah. And and show that actually we went through, like we covered this and that and that and that and that. And now we have like 10 lessons that we can actually do something fun with. Amazing. So, um, in terms of really like, I do, I do make this claim a lot. Like it's actually not in, difficult at all to catch interest because like, let's say I started singing. So it would be surprising if I... Uh, there was one lecture that started from the backside of the lecture hall. Uh, so that was surprising. So whatever you do a little bit differently. I was once on stage with um, maybe a hundred of uh, girls here in New York Southwest in a girls' school. And I was start I, I started making a split and then going to how I could actually use Pythagoras theory to calculate like how much further I need to get yeah. my feet so that I actually reach the yeah the floor and things. That's, like that. that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's interesting for many students. So things like whatever you do in in a less traditional way, in a way that hasn't been done the last maybe 10 years. So yeah. it's gonna be that is not difficult. But I do see that a lot, especially when it comes to mass uh, resources that we sort of like I call it sugar coding, but I'm sure that there's a better word for that when you just put like a um, uh, in my book, there is like tax forms and yeah. I decorated them with a monster. So that wouldn't make them any more sort of like fun thing to do, even though there was a monster when you were like filling your tax forms. So yeah. that's sort of like tokenistic yeah. ways of trying to catch the interest that is really ubiquitous in maths. Yeah. But that doesn't really take you anywhere because something has to maintain that interest. Like I can start from the backside of the hall, but if I'm just, you know, giving a really boring lecture, it's not going to take us anywhere. How do, uh, in the New South Wales syllabus, there's a big focus on working mathematically. Um, mm -hmm. How do we, um, I don't want to talk too much of, about assessment, but how do we begin to sort of build that competency in students, that ability to see problems and work through them methodically? And how do we sort of know if we're being successful with that, because there's three working mathematical outcomes in the New South Wales syllabus, and they're embedded across all aspects of mathematics. So how do we sort of build that um, that capacity to solve really difficult problems? I think those working mathematically sort of like subcomponents are somewhat yeah. um, um, overlapping. That's right. Yeah. So they're kind of like the foundation on which yeah, yeah. we build everything on. Um, yeah, and and the way I explain it to my students is I might put a, a difficult question on the board mm -hmm. and um, we call it the brain sweats. So mm -hmm. when we're looking at the question and we don't know what to do, our brain starts to get sweaty. And so mm -hmm. with my students, I explain that to them and I say, okay, instead of giving up, try and think about the next thing. Mm -hmm. And I find that yeah, really difficult to to build that 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 sort of capacity with kids. And uh, do you have anything to say around how we um, get students to engage more in the problem solving side of mathematics? There, it was uh, Catherine Atat's paper yeah. where she was talking about what That's was right. the difference in between a couple of teachers that sort of like did everything right, and yeah. then there was a, a teacher that did something a little bit differently, and with the ones doing everything right the students actually got disengaged yes in the long run but not with this one particular teacher and the difference was basically that they this one teacher was not helping the students out right so i think that's what happens that, that i think that is what what happens a lot is that you sort of like think of the um you think really sort of like one directionally you just need to get the students doing something and you can sort of like check that out yeah. You can check the box. But then again, like your students might be able to do lots of things without actually understanding a lot. Yeah. So that's not enough. So when first of all, when it comes to assignment, there was this one really fascinating idea of like um when you're like pointing your finger to a dot, you can easily do that. But if you are doing that um eyes closed, then you can't yeah, do yeah. it anymore. So but that's even true. if you did see that you need to sort of like slow down a little bit. Um before you hit that dot, because yeah, wow. you need to make sure that you are going the right pace. And I think that's, again, the sort of the idea of looking at the compass and not the clock, like not yeah. thinking like, can I, can I get all this done, but really like slowing down a little bit, 
letting your students do the work and asking questions like, what have you done so far? Yeah. What do you think this is uh, useful for? The, yeah. the kind of questions that you just said there. Yeah. And, and really thinking like, are we going the right direction here? Is this taking yeah. us anywhere? Uh, so those kind of things. So important. Uh, and it also that also um, brings up a really important point about feedback and how we support our students through that process. Mm-hmm. I know um, uh, I, I know Professor John Hattie's work, um, he looks extensively at feedback and the different types of feedback we use. And very early on in my career, I instead of saying to students, well done or good job, what I um what I did, what I do now is say, I really liked how you did that. Next time, why don't you try this? And mm-hmm. so while they're working at their desks, while they're working with their friends and walking around, I'm usually standing next to them and I'm giving them feedback and scaffolding as they're working through that process. And and um, do you think that's really important to sort of create that that sort of risk-taking culture around mathematics so students feel as though they can have a go and if they get it wrong it's okay there has to be a prize there has to be a clear award like yes. you have, like no one is interested in learning something that is trivial like yeah, it's not right. gonna take like it's it just you know doesn't take me anywhere so it has to be compelling it has to be a, a real challenge yeah. but then you have to get all the support that you need you you don't want anybody else to do the work for you you just need to be sort of like direct in the, in the right direction. And I don't find that people have sort of like lost their patience or anything, even small kids. They can actually last yeah. for a long time if you just make sure that every now and then you go and say something like, can you see what you, you like, can you at least explain what you've been doing so far and saying things like, I'm sure that like, I'm 100% sure, sure that you're actually going to solve this and things like that. So sort of like keep them onto that task. And really encouraging them because of like reminding them on, of the reward that is going to come. Yeah. So I think the whole learning is really, uh, it's a complex process. You can't sort of like make a blueprint for that. Yeah. And and then um, it was actually in one of the podcasts that, casts that I was listening when there was this comparison between complicated and complex processes. Where a complicated is something like building a toaster. So it's it can be like there can be lots of steps, but once you figure them all out, you can just replicate the process mm. and you can do it again and again and again. Whereas a complex process is not a kind of that could be sort of like described in in steps. So yes. it's every time it's different. It's a bit individual each time. Yeah. So there's no other way than just be present in those moments. Yeah. And do that together with your students and for your students, but not uh not for your students, actually, yeah. because you don't want you don't you want them to be the ones that are making yeah them. yeah and absolutely and and um I just had a question as a as a parent um I'm the dad of two uh, very very strong willed girls I have a a three year old and a five year old um what do you think I can do or what do you think parents can do more broadly to try and encourage their their, their daughters to pursue a career in mathematics or science or STEM or some of those careers that have been more traditionally male-dominated? How do we do a better job of getting girls into those? That's really interesting. But I do have kids, uh, and I think they are all kind of interested in these um, subjects yep. and these areas because of my work. Uh, what everybody could probably do is maybe accept a little bit more risk taking. Like if you are making everything really sort of like predetermined, then that's probably not going to take you to something somewhere interesting. Yeah. But yeah. then also, uh, and this is, I think, for everybody, not just parents, but like really showing that it doesn't have to be like you don't need to be the one that is like creating or designing the next skyrocket or something like or you know um discover the uh, hydrogen fuel or something like super complicated and difficult yeah. and like saving the whole planet or anything like that but it could be like showing more what can be done in really small scale that is really uh like useful for people and sort of like aligning with overall yes. goals that say girls might have yeah. Many times girls are interested in things like making this world a better place, 
yeah. um, sustainability issues, animal welfare, things like that. And there's a lot to do in these areas if you know your data, if you understand statistics and things like that. So you do need your maths for that. Yeah, I, I think that's that's so important. Thank you. I'll, I'll come for advice in about 15 years when they're looking at careers. I'm just really interested, Laura, in, in some of your um, uh, your current work. So looking at kind of new mediums for professional development and learning. Um, I understand you're uh, writing a magazine. Is that correct? Oh, yes. Uh, after Very having completed one more research project, and I've been part of so many really large scale like millions and millions have been poured into these projects and it's usually kind of like negligible outcomes that you get out of those projects so after the last one the teachers really clearly communicated the feeling of just not wanting to go to another platform to learn another idea the sort of the overwhelming feeling of all that so what we are having now is a really simple, traditional, back to basics magazine, but it's done in a really cool way. So we have a designer, we have everything like really nice and, you know, up to date, small chunks, but then also lots of like um, deep content that is put in an easy accessible form. So nothing superficial, but in a really easy accessible way. And right. that's just going to lay there on your, you know, on the table in the teacher lounge. Love so that. it's nothing like you don't need to do. You don't need to go anywhere. But it's like super easy when you're having your coffee, just, you know, start flattering it and, and get some new ideas and fresh ideas. And it. Like it's also something that has, um, um, how to say that, like it's not like an endless stream right. of you know other like new more and more posts or something like that. But it's actually something that has like, the start and the end so you can see that okay now i've like read half of this magazine and i know what's there that's that's fascinating i will happily buy some copies uh you just let me know when it's available um it seems laura that you are sort of constantly trying new things and and pushing new boundaries i know you have videos on uh youtube and uh tiktok and all of these different these different mediums um it must be really interesting trying to find different ways and, and, and modern ways to to spread this message of mathematics. Is that something that you consciously do, or, or are you just fascinated in, in using whatever medium is possible to to, to teach people about maths? Because a, a oh. TikTok mathematician is quite um yeah, it's quite unusual. It, it's quite unusual. Um, yes, both definitely. I'm like. Um, I'm generally interested in experimenting everything, but then also like I do want to put the efforts or put most of my energy in things that actually have some value to the users. So if some of those things are less beneficial, less sort of like applicable, then I'm happy to also you know just let go of go of that and do something else. Um, yeah. Yeah. I. You should start a podcast, a maths podcast. Well, I, I leave it to you because you're doing it so in extremely well. <laughs> oh, thank, thank you. Um, I, I'm just wondering, uh, wondering, Laura, and I want to be respectful of your time. So just a couple more questions, if you don't mind. Um, what's the what's the best, the best maths lesson you've ever seen and why? Could be one that you've taught, could be one that you've supervised, but what was the best best maths lesson you've ever seen and, and, and why? I think it's the one that I've shown or asked my students to watch many of times by Deborah Bohr, who is one of the most established maths education researchers. I think she's retired by now. Uh, she has this video from her early years, I think back in the early 80s or something, where there's a student in her classroom asking or suggesting that all numbers are odd and even, or maybe that 10, no, 10 is odd and even, or something like that. And Deborah, as the teacher, never says no or yes to that, but she starts prompting things like, um, what is your argumentation for that? Uh, what is the definition of an odd number? What is the definition of an, uh, an even number? Uh, how do these things go together? Does everybody understand what this guy is saying? 
uh, do you agree with that? Does yes, anybody yeah. disagree? And it's like orchestrating and, and she goes on and the students are so engaged. It's it's so fascinating to look at that video. I'm happy to send that over. Yeah, I'd, um, I, I, I would I would love that. And I'd love to be able to put that in the show notes and 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 let people see that because that's yeah, it's a great example. Amazing. Yeah, because the teacher never um, says the final word. The teacher never says like, yes, that was right or that was wrong. She go, keeps going until the, the students are 100% certain that their reasoning was right and they know how this goes. It, that, that's interesting that it's not the outcome that makes a, a successful lesson, but it's the process. It's the the questioning. It's the wrestling with the ideas. And and, mm. and they, they um, did they even solve the problem or did students? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. And while, yes, definitely the focus was on the process, but with that kind of outcome, you never unlearn that. Like once you've achieved something by yourself and you have made those arguments, you have... Yes. Uh, confirm yourself and your peers that this is the right way of thinking so then you, you're never going to forget that so yeah. the outcome is actually also permanent fantastic and laura as you know um australian teachers are taking a well-deserved break at the moment we're about to go back into the classroom in a couple of weeks time um what would be one piece of, of advice that you would give to a group of teachers about to step foot in the classroom, um, specifically around mathematics? One thing that they could do differently this year? Well, maybe I'm gonna give this one. I was just volunteering in uh, some sort of push caring activities last Friday, and there was a, I wrote it down, a sustainability educator called Julian Lee from Randwick Council, who gave us a, like a brief little lecture about how gardens work and how you can make them more self-sustained. Yes. Uh, so that you don't need to be the one that is like taking care of them every day and like important, yeah, so all that. Yeah. Um, so what he said was that feed the soil, not the plants. Great. And I think that's a really good advice for us teachers as well. Like we shouldn't be the ones that are sort of like pouring something uh, additional, something that sort of like we need to like keep pouring to keep students interested or on their learning paths or anything like that. But right. make sure that they are motivated to start with, have really uh, compelling uh, challenges, problems, um, things, all that, so that it's all balanced. So then you don't need to sort of like motivate students that have lost their interest. Yeah, I think that's really, really powerful. So feed the soil and not the plants. And would you have any advice for for parents? We obviously know that learning just doesn't occur between nine and three in a classroom. Do you have any advice for parents to engage their children in mathematics at home? How can we do a better job of that? talk mathematics don't think that mathematics is something that only has like a right or wrong answer but things like when you take a bigger cake and things like that how how do we use numbers how do we use uh, volumes uh, amounts things like that how do we weigh things what do we know what can we know that something like weighs less than something else what kind of uh, dishes are we using what do we yes. why are we doing it the why question is always really fascinating for children yeah, fantastic. And um, Laura, that, that we've covered so much uh, in our discussion today. There's almost a number of podcasts within each of this podcast that we've talked about today. Um, a final question for you. Um, what do you hope to achieve with your research? At the end of your career, the end of your academic career, when you look back, what do you hope that you have have, have done? I'm convinced that mathematics can be thought in a way that actually gives us keys for better futures, that it can be something that people actually enjoy mm -hmm. and feel confident about. And if that doesn't happen within my lifetime, I'm happy to work as long as I can for that and leave it to whatever lifetime that requires to be solved at some point. Fantastic. Well, Laura, thank you so much um, for taking the time out of your day uh, to talk with me today. Um, my hope is that there would be 
many teachers around the world that would hear our conversation um, and begin to see the wonder and the beauty and the joy um, in mathematics. And so I'm I'm hugely grateful for um, your, your numerous articles that you've published. I got to read a few of them, um, uh, your amazing uh, YouTube videos and, and all of the different mediums that you're using to get this very important message out to the world. So thank you so much. And um, hopefully we can do a round two, another podcast episode at some point. Thanks, Matthew, so much. And also my biggest thanks for having this podcast because without people like you who actually take the time and do, you know, that extra to uh, uh, get, you know, people together and and bring these, you know, question yeah. ideas together and all that. Like, this is so valuable and so useful. So thanks for that. You're more than welcome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Art of Teaching podcast today. I hope that you, like me, got some valuable insights out of our discussions. For show notes, please visit theartofteachingpodcast.com. And I've also created a private Facebook group where we continue the discussion there. The link will be in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and can't wait to see you for next week's episode.